Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist. Welcome to episode 394. Continuing on with uh, our style lineage of British Victorian. So let's get into it again. Let's continue this and finish this uh, segment up, this segment of episodes. Fireplaces. The fireplace is an essential feature in the Victorian house and appears virtually in every room. This is something that's happened almost for the first time. It consists of two main parts, the manufactured cast iron grate and the chimney piece or surround, generally made by, from marble, slate, and or wood. Large open fireplaces have dog grates, but register grates, which are cast as one piece to, com to combine the grate, fire bag, and the inner frame. And this is a feature of the, <clears throat> of the main rooms in most of the townhouses. These grates are inserted within the fireplace for high efficiency and increased by the use of dampers, which regulate the supply of air. Panels of colored patterned tiles on either side of the grate were quite popular throughout the era, initially in larger houses. So towards the end of the 19th century, mass-produced tiles, tiled register grates became available and were all the rage. In fashionable houses, fireplace surrounds were often changed when rooms were redecorated. Traditionally, marble and slate and later cast iron are found in the principal rooms of houses. Wooden surrounds are more common in smaller houses and in the secondary rooms of grander houses. These would have been varnished or painted, depending on the quality of the wood. The overmantel with its center mirror and complicated array of columns and shelves for displaying ornaments became quite popular in, in the period, or by, definitely by the middle of the period. Gas fires were usually gradually introduced in the late 19th century, but are not as good at producing high heat, but they produced more of a consistent heat. So, um, you know, two-phase things. We have the, the visualness, and we also have the heating production here. So... So we're going to introduce something new in this series. is called the you know the kitchen stove. The built-in range was the most commonly used cooker in the Victorian kitchen. It was fueled by coal and made of cast iron. There was a choice between the open and the closed range. The latter, as the name suggests, has an enclosed rather than open fire grate. The closed range increasingly. Uh, became increasingly popular. Saucepans lasted longer and remained cleaner when heated on the plate rather than on an open fire. Another advantage was that the fire would stay on all night. Manufacturers offered plenty of choice, but most models had a central fire and a water boiler on one side and an oven on the other. Clean and economical fuel consumption was a very important selling point for these ranges. Freestanding portable kitcheners were sometimes preferred because they could be installed further away from the flue, connected by a stovepipe. They were supported on legs, but the term portable is misleading because they were immensely heavy. However, not being built in, they could be regarded, regarded as tenants' fixtures. Gas stoves began to make some impact toward the end of the century, but they were expensive and run the need of reliable gas supply. Because they did not pr provide a constant heat, 
they were marketed as ideal for summer use when a cool kitchen would be appropriately altered. So it was some years, however, that um, before they began to seriously rival the traditional range. Staircases in the British Victorian era. Victorian terraced row houses usually have dog leg staircases because they were inexpensive to construct and economical on space. They're generally made from a softwood such as pine and in early Victorian houses frequently have plain squared section stick balusters. As the period progresses, increasingly elaborate turn balusters and newel posts appear. These were mass produced and were readily available from builders, merchants, together with broad mahogany or oak molded handrails. The edges of stair treads and risers were often painted, stained, or grained and varnished to resemble oak. A strip of carpet was used as a runner in the middle up the stairs. And this was held in place by brass or sometimes wooden rods anchored. The carpet was moved up or down a couple of inches at each spring cleaning so that the wear was even. The back stairs and those in modest households would often be covered with floor cloth or linoleum <laughs> with polished brass protective nosings to the, the threads. In large houses, the staircase will often be open well. Such stairs may be made from stone or marble with intricately worked cast iron balustrades and a polished mahogany handrail. By the late 19th century, there was a large range of balustrade castings to choose from. Stair treads are usually cantilevered. And if carpet was used, the eyes for stair rods would be set right into the stonework, which, uh, you know, was a factor that really stabilized them. So let's talk about building furniture in the British Victorian era in England. Enthusiasm for building furniture stemmed largely from a desire to escape from the cluttered interiors of the early part of the period. Together with an, ex with an expanding trade in mechanized joinery, one large company of household furnishers in the late 1880s catalog claimed to give special attention to fitted furniture, as it was called, building fitted furniture. They were pleased to repair and submit estimates for fitting up libraries, boudoirs, and bedrooms in either hand-polished or painted woods. Polishing was a growing industry, and Victorian building, building library bookcases are an expensive feature of larger homes. Their shelves run between pilasters or Gothic shafts. Their height usually takes the bookcase to within a few feet of the ceiling, where the top, decorated with a cornice, would serve as a display shelf for busts of classical writers and or philosophers. Folio volumes would be stored in the lower section of the bookcase, with the shelves above accommodating smaller volumes. A charming specialty was the cozy corner, an intimate arrangement of built-in seats often situated next to a fireplace or in the corner of a room. The kitchen dresser is a standard built-in Victorian feature. Initially, open shelves were retained for this display of china, but later glass doors were added. Food lifts or dumbwaiters served dining rooms and houses with basement kitchens. Services in the British Victorian era. With the arrival of pipe water on public supply, 
Portable hip baths were replaced by fixed vitreous enamel baths. Washstands, formerly filled by hand, were now plumbed in with brass taps, faucets, and plug holes, allowing the water to drain away. The ceramic pedestal basin, often decorated with a transfer printed pattern, eventually overtook the wooden washstand. Methods of heating, water went through several stages of development, including the application of gas flames directly to the underside of the bath, until the invention of the gas geyser in 1868. In spite of problems of noise, smell, and a tendency to explode, the geyser attained popularity as a quick, economical way of heating water. Showers also became popular. They were little more than invented watering cans operated by a hand pump and chain until pressurized water fed by an overhead tank became available. The water closet increasingly became an indoor feature and the word lavatory, previously used to describe a wash basin, was adopted as a euphemism for this device. Houses with central heating had large, sometimes decorated cast iron radiators. Ornamental ventilators were also intended to help the circulation of fresh air. Victorian drain pipes, downspouts, and gutters were also made from cast iron. And the, the hopper heads, leader heads, that connect the two are sometimes inscribed with the date of the house that was built. Lighting. Mrs. Panton, in her book From Kitchen to Garret, writes, I must impress upon my readers never to have gas anywhere where they can avoid using it, and to pray heartily that for the bright day to dawn when the electric light shall be within the reach of all. So this prayer was to be answered, but throughout the Victorian period, most houses were lit by candles, oil, or gas. A ceiling pendant which could be lowered to the table would be found in dining rooms, and those fed by gas incorporated complicated devices to prevent leaks. Wall sconces and wrought iron or brass standard lamps with copper trim and scroll work were used to light sitting rooms. Shades were either elaborate with silk affairs, which no doubt presented something of a fire risk, or glass plain or etched. Cut glass chandeliers were quite the luxury in this time. The incandescent gas mantle introduced in 1887 provided much greater light. However, it was soon challenged by the invention of the electric light. Early bulbs had carbon filaments and produced an inefficient, light inefficient type of light. Installation was expensive and was confined to grander country homes and a few city areas able to generate their own electricity. Power failures were frequent, and at the end of the period, with the arrival of the superior tungsten filament, a backup supply of candles was necessary. It was not until the Edwardian era that electricity became <clears throat> generally available and quite reliable. So let's talk about metalwork in the British Victorian era. Traditionally, architectural ironwork had been the provenance of the blacksmith. But during the Victorian periods, the foundry became the dominant and the highest skills of the manufacture of cast iron to be attained. Great foundries were fed up to meet the heavy demand for mass-produced railings, gates, porches, conservatories, fireplaces, baths, and whatever else was needed. 
These foundries published enormous illustrated catalogs offering prompt delivery and stock items. Cast iron became the prime material for downpipes, downspouts, and gutters, and lent itself well to the elaborate designs of hopperheads, leaderheads. Later in the period, cast iron was ex extensively used for the manufacture of sanitary fixtures, particularly baths. In British towns and cities, railings were used to enclose squares, parks, and the basement areas around terraced row houses. Modest front garden walls were capped with balustrades and verandas. Conservatories and balcony fronts all became popular. Regrettably, many of these fine features were removed as scrap to help the war effort during World War II. The popularity of cast iron was so overwhelming at this time that the art of wrought ironwork was almost lost. However, there was a renewed interest in handmade ironwork with the development of the arts and crafts movement later in the period. So let's, uh, let's finish up by talking about woodwork. So the use of wood for external decoration developed a space in the Victorian period. Oak had nominally been used for durability outdoors, but it was quite expensive. Now, less expensive softwood such as pine could be treated with coal tar or oil-based preservatives and pressure treatment with creosote made them even more weatherproof. Pine was also easy to carve and shape into patterns needed for ornamentation. Most large joinery works used steam machinery and machine sawing and planing, working together with the made lumber machining much less simpler and less expensive than ever before. Manufacturers developed extensive ranges of prefabricated functional and ornamental garden buildings, including conservatories for dispatch by rail. These were delivered to component, as component parts for immediate erection. Trellis work, very much a feature of the period, was delivered folded, concertina style, and when expanded created a very effective screen and panel. Dark creosoted shiplap fencing became an alternative to expensive brick walls. Open palisade fencing was also popular. Garden entrance gates were painted dark green or white. They had solid lower panels and the tops were open work panels formed by a variety of spindles. And again, AWN Pugin's ornamental timber gables of the 16th century was popular as a pattern book for elaborate machine-carved softwood barge boards. Wooden porches also reflect the interest in decorative wood carpentry. And that finishes up for Victorian, British Victorian. Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist, signing out. Uh, please tell all your friends and acquaintances and pass on uh, this and many of the other podcasts we've done over the time. Thanks, everyone, for listening.